Father, as we open your word, we ask you by your spirit to speak to us. Lord, clear aside those things that would stand in the way of hearing from you. And let your word penetrate our hearts and our minds to transform us. Lord, equip and encourage us in all areas of life to live kingdom first. Every day of every week of every year for the honor and glory of our king. Amen. My first car was a 1979 Mustang. It was one of the few times in my life that I was cool. However, one of the things that I knew is in order to keep being cool, I had to keep getting cool cars. And so I definitely strove to get cool cars for 24 years. But in 2013, something changed. And I got a minivan. (laughs) And there is nothing cool about a minivan. It is like a rectangle on wheels. Nothing cool at all. But what I did discover is the reason that I got the minivan was real. You see, we had had three kids at that point, and we just needed more space. And so we get this minivan, and there is plenty of space in this minivan. And when the doors open, my kids never bang the car next to them because they slide open. In fact, they slide open by a button that I have, which is really awesome when your hands are full. And I am convinced, because I've taken all the seats out, you can like fit an entire apartment inside of a minivan. In fact, I think the inside is actually bigger than the outside is. Because you keep putting stuff in, it's like a Harry Potter van. It's amazing. And so when we got our fourth kid, no big deal. We hardly even noticed. Just put them in there. We could have two or three more. <laughs> We're not going to. The deans win. Five. Good. But it was such a shift for us. I mean, Aaron and I, I think we actually had arguments about this. Sometimes I'm arguing for it. Sometimes she's arguing for it. But it just it was such a big shift but it was so worth it. And there was a reason we made the shift. Today, we wanna talk about what Jesus calls a new commandment. New, a shift. That Jesus is introducing something new. And if there's a shift and Jesus is making it, how important is that shift? What should that mean to us if he's doing that? So if you would, open your Bible to John chapter 13. We're going to read about the new commandment. John chapter 13. Our gospel reading was little children, verse 33. Yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me, just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And then here it is. A new commandment I give to you. And if you're Jewish, 
That has just got to be such a, a moment there. Almost like a, wait, did I hear you correctly? Because there's how many commandments? Ten. And for somebody to suddenly go, a new commandment. And it's interesting the way he's giving it. Because the first commandments, they came as they left the Exodus. They are leaving out of the Passover. They go to the mountain. And there's an, a covenant that's being established. And there's the Ten Commandments. Go from Exodus 20 to Exodus 24. Well, now we have the Passover meal. And he's getting ready to be our Passover lamb. And he says, a new commandment I give you. And here it is. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, what makes this commandment new? Why is it any different? Why? The newness here is as I have loved you. Right? The commandment to love has been there. But Jesus in the incarnation, Jesus becoming human, becoming flesh, and living life has not happened up to this point. Now it's happened. Now it's not just love. It is you've witnessed me. You've seen how I have loved. My commandment to you is I want you to love like that. And here's the interesting thing that he says. By this... All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And what I want to point out is it is, they will know you're my disciples. And that makes the commandment something we have to do, not know. It makes the commandment something you have to live, not just be able to recite. Right? Think of it like this. By now, if you've been here any length of time, you know that I'm a Mavericks fan. I try to get the Mavericks in at least once a month. I really love the Mavericks. And I can tell you all kinds of things about the Mavericks. I can tell you statistics. I can tell you people that are looking to draft. I can tell you what's happened over the past 10 years. I can tell you so many things. I've been to games. It doesn't make me a Maverick. I'm still not a Dallas Mavericks player. No matter how well I may know the rules, how many statistics I might know, how many games I watch, how much I root, go Mavericks! It still doesn't make me a Dallas Mavericks player. It makes me a fan. It makes me a really poor scholar on the Mavericks. But it doesn't make me a disciple. Right? It's not enough for us to know what Jesus said. It's not enough for us to discuss what Jesus said. We can sit around in a group and we can say, well, he said this and he said this and this and this, and that's great. But that alone, yeah, I'm a fan, but I'm not a disciple. That's why he says, I want you to love like I loved. And as you're doing that, then people will know you're my disciple because why? You look like me. But if you don't live out that commandment, are you looking like him? No. So the newness comes because he lived a certain way, and he says, you guys now live that way. But if we don't live that way, 
will never be the other side of it where all men will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. It is an active thing that we're called to do. So, I have to ask the next question. How did Jesus love? If the whole point is love like I loved, then we have to know how he loved or we can't love like he did. We talk every week in one way or another about living kingdom first, about aligning my life with the kingdom of God, making my life look like his life. And one of the key things for that is, do you believe that the king loves you? It is the foundation for serving Christ. If you don't start with his love for you, you will not end in the right spot. Because what you'll be doing is you'll be trying to earn things from him. You'll be trying to do it on your own. If you start from a position where you know he loves you, then you build out of it. And that's why we start with believe the king's love. Well, let me tell you something. I'm gonna spend basically the rest of my sermon talking about the ways that Jesus has loved. And I want you to do two things with it. Number one, I want you to realize he loves you in that same way. When we talk about believing the king's love, I'm gonna share the love with you. He loves you in that way. And then number two, if we are to live kingdom first, we want to live that way. We want to accept the love he's given, and then we want to love other people with that love. So, I'm going to take us through a number of things here. It is all about how Jesus loved. Um, I will write a lot of this up and put it in the weekly email or something. If you're taking notes, it's just, there's a lot here. So go ahead and take them, but just know I'm going to have all this stuff here. Because I want to talk about the ways he's loved. Number one. Jesus patiently explained truth to people even when they were really off, even at times when they were offensive in their responses. He patiently explained truth, and it was an act of love. Think about his disciples who spent time arguing about who the greatest was among them. And they were doing it right after Jesus talked about giving his life for people. How offensive is that? How missing the point is that? And yet, he patiently explains the truth to them. When they come to him at one point and say, we would like to, James and John, we'd like to sit at your right and your left hand. And all the others are like, oh my goodness, how could you do that? And you'd think that Jesus would also, because guess where that comes from? Also, after a moment where he's talking about giving himself. And here they are, no, make us rulers. And again, he talks with them. He explains the truth to them. When Jesus fed 5,000 people, maybe 20,000 people, 5,000 men, after he fed them, his disciples end up, he, he says something about the leaven of the Pharisees, and the disciples end up arguing and talking about bread, and we're, we're worried, we didn't get enough bread, and they're like, they're totally lost. And Jesus explains the truth to them. Just over and over again, 
one of the ways that he loved was to patiently explain truth. Number two, he not only explained truth, sometimes he corrected people, but he didn't shame them when he did. There was a time when, again, James and John, um, they are going through a village, and the village doesn't believe in Jesus. And James and John go, would you like us to call down fire from heaven on them? And how off could you be from Jesus? And yet, he doesn't let it go. He doesn't start yelling at them. He corrects them. Much like he does when Peter says to him, no, Lord, you can't do the thing that you just said you're going to do. And again, he doesn't go off on him, but he corrects him, truthfully. He also challenges people, and this one is hard. How easy is it when somebody is doing something wrong to just ignore it and hope that it goes away? Because if you challenge somebody, what do you risk? Arguments, hurt feelings, people not liking you. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, and please don't. But if I said, raise your hand if you like confrontation, there would only be a handful of people in this room that would raise your hand. Most of us don't like that. But part of the way that Jesus loved was by confronting, by challenging, by not letting sinful behavior, wrong behavior, just keep going, because that would be easier. And you can think of all kinds of ways So Peter, at one point, is walking on the water, and then he looks away from Jesus to the waves. And Jesus doesn't just go, oh, it's okay, Peter, don't worry about it. He actually challenges him in that moment to get his eyes where his eyes belong. There's a point where there's a storm raging all around them, and Jesus calms the storm down. And in that moment, he could have just said, it's okay, everybody. Everything's so good. Everything's all right. What he knew is that they had a lack of faith that he wanted to challenge for their sake. And he does in that moment. He challenges them. Number four, Jesus built people up even when they weren't building him up. And you see this multiple times throughout the text. You see it early on with a guy named Nathaniel where he talks about Nathaniel as this Israelite above all Israelites. Um, And this guy doesn't have a clue what's going on. He doesn't reciprocate anything to Jesus, but Jesus builds him up. You see this with a Syrophoenician woman who comes and she needs healing for her daughter. And the disciples, they basically want her to go away. And so Jesus goes with that. But she keeps coming and she keeps coming. And eventually Jesus is like, wow, I have not seen such faith. But he's praising her. And he does this multiple times throughout his ministry. He builds them up. When Peter makes this confession, you are the Christ. He's like, wow, the Father gave that to you. How encouraging must that have been for Peter? You heard from the Father. He was constantly building people up. Number five, he was restoring people who had fallen even when it was their fault. Again, how hard is that? I mean, it's, it's not as hard to forgive somebody 
when they come to you and they're like, I am so sorry I did this. Now, still that can be hard. But it's even harder when the person's like not even coming to you. Jesus went to them. Thomas. When Jeremy preached a couple weeks ago, he called him hurting Thomas instead of doubting Thomas, which I think is actually pretty good. Um, he did doubt, but it, I think it was out of pain. It was out of hurt. But you know what? Jesus didn't wait for Thomas to come to him and to go, oh, I'm so sorry, Lord, I screwed this up. I should have just believed in you. No. Jesus had to come to him. And Jesus said, here it is. This is what you wanted. Peter. I mean, Peter's denials, we went over them during Lent. That is hardcore denials. I mean, he just told Jesus to his face, I will not deny you, even if everybody else does. And then publicly, he says, I don't even know this man. Jesus is the one who calls Peter. Peter goes out fishing. Jesus goes to the shore and waits for them to come back. And then Jesus initiates a conversation with Peter. And it's so interesting. The conversation is not... Peter, do you want to apologize? Conversation is not, are you sorry that you did this? Or let's say, you're going to deny me now? Or are you going to affirm me? Let's hear you affirm me. No, it goes back to what? Love. Because everything he's doing is coming out of love. And so for Jesus, it's, do you love me, Peter? And I do not picture that as a, do you love me, Peter, really? Come on. The gentleness that you see in Jesus throughout his ministry, I picture right there with him going, do you love me? Because it's an act of restoration. That's why he does it three times. Three denials, three moments to say, I love you. But that's what he did. He kept restoring people even when they didn't deserve it. That was his love. I lost count, so I'm just going to keep going. I should have numbered these. Um, he showed an amazing amount of respect and dignity for everybody. The way that Jesus treats women, the way that Jesus treats children, the way that Jesus treats Gentiles, and the way that he treats Samaritans is very different from his culture. He treated them all with respect and dignity. When he's having that conversation with a Samaritan woman, I mean, that is two strikes against her right there. And he goes and has a conversation with her. He listens to her. And when the disciples come back, they are so freaked out by what he's doing because he's just breaking all these social norms. But his love was one that showed respect and dignity for everybody, even those that others look down on. The poor the sick, all of them. And then I jumped ahead a little bit. Um, he listened to people. I want you to think of a time where somebody really heard you. How many times in your life have you had a conversation where you weren't really being heard? Maybe it turned into a fight. Maybe you just kind of walked away because you were like, this is just never going to work but you felt like you weren't being heard. You felt like maybe somebody already had an agenda, like they're already interpreting what you're saying. Jesus listened. And you see this too in his conversations. 
I mean, it is amazing how little we have, and yet in that little tiny bit, he's having this conversation with Nicodemus. And the moment that he said, like, you're Israel's teacher and you don't get this, I'm done with you. No, he listens to this religious leader and tries to help him understand. He hears where he's at. He hears what the struggle is and tries to help him understand. And by the end, Nicodemus is a disciple. Jesus listened to people out of love. Sorry. Three more things. This is the one we usually think of. Jesus completed his mission despite begging the Father to take it away. Despite sweating drops of blood, he finished the mission for the sake of others. He went through what was necessary that you and I could sing the song, His Mercy is More, and we could trust in Christ and have all of our sins forgiven. He went through what was necessary for that. And then my last two actually come from our other two readings. Um, Acts chapter 11, which you read earlier, and it was with the sheet of animals that come down. And what's happening is that passage, if you know the Old Testament food laws, there were things the Jews couldn't eat. And that separated them from Gentiles. It was an identity marker. We don't eat certain things. You do eat certain things. We don't have table fellowship. We're distinct from you. The reason that God gave that to Peter at that point is he wasn't trying to just say, hey, Peter, I've just increased the amount of food you can eat now. You can go to restaurants you couldn't go to before. It was far bigger than that. He was sending him to the Gentiles. And Peter needed to know that the Gentiles could receive even as the Jews could receive. And so when he goes, if you read through the rest of the passage that we didn't finish, at the end, what it'll say is, wow, the Gentiles can have the Holy Spirit just like we can. God has invited the Gentiles into the family. That was out of love. Raise your hand if you are not Jewish. Raise your hand. We should all be eternally grateful because we were invited into the family as Gentiles. But that was out of his love. It was belonging. I mean, think of it. It wasn't like we're just coworkers or we're just a neighbor or we're just somebody who's like, all right, fine, you can have these advantages over here, but just stay over there. It was, no, come in. Be a part of the family. And I'm just gonna tell you something. Look around this room. Everybody who's a believer in Jesus Christ is part of your family. No matter what differences you may have had, in age or in, in, in experiences or in background, no matter where you're from, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We were brought in out of his love. And then finally, the Revelation passage. The Revelation 21 passage says, there is a new heavens and a new earth. He has given us a new hope. He is going to take everything we have and redeem it. I mean, could you just imagine for a moment living in a world where I'm starting to lose my eyesight. 
I have said to you guys for the last five years, everything that's breaking down on me, at least I have my eyesight still. It's going. I keep having to do this. It's so awful. I feel like that's it. I have nothing left. It can't get any worse. It's got to be it. Imagine an eternity where you never have to wear glasses. Ever. I mean, that, that, the new heavens and new earth, it's all redeemed. That was done out of his love, giving us hope, giving us a future. All right. I know that's a lot. But I just, I want you to think about the practical ways that Jesus loved. It's too easy to say, and, and I don't mean to take anything away from this, it's too easy to say he died for our sins. Because most of us, maybe all of us, we're never going to do that. You're never gonna die for somebody else. It's very unlikely. And so how am I supposed to love like him if the, if the one thing that I think of is in order to do that, I've got to die for somebody. But he loved in so many other ways. That was the ultimate expression. That was the finale. But there were so many ways that he loved by encouraging, by challenging, by protecting, by making people part of a family. There's so many ways that he loved. That's what we're called to. We are called to love as he loved. Here's a good quote from a book called Not a Fan. Fans don't mind him doing a little touch-up work, but Jesus wants complete renovation. Fans come to Jesus thinking tune-up, but Jesus is thinking overhaul. Fans think a little makeup is fine, Jesus is thinking a makeover. Fans think a little decorating is required, but Jesus wants a complete remodel. Fans want Jesus to inspire them. Jesus wants to interfere with their lives. Because if you think of everything I just described about how he loved, that's not a veneer you can just put on. That's not like a single action you can do here or there. For most of us, that's a remodel of life to be like him. And here's what sometimes I struggle with in my own life, in ministering to other people's lives, in, in the way that I walk with people as we think about Christianity. So I had one uncool car before I had the van, but it was practical. I had an old white truck that I used to wash windows. And the thing barely ran. I mean, it was old and beat up, but it was to wash windows. However, because I had to drive it up to the businesses all the time, I would still go and get it cleaned, which seemed a little ridiculous because it was an old, beat-up white truck. But I'd go to the car wash and get it cleaned. And I remember one time, you know how when you pull up, and some of them don't even do this anymore, but they'll ask, what fresh scent do you want in your car? And I remember the guy saying, would you like new car smell? 
And I thought, I need like barely running smell. That's, That's what this car is. But what struck me is just because you get in my car and it smells new doesn't mean it's actually new. And just because we know a lot about the Bible, just because we can talk a lot about the Bible or about Jesus, doesn't necessarily make us good disciples. What he said, we need a remodel. This is about renovating our lives so that we can love like he loved. And when that is happening, he says, then people are going to know you're my disciples because you're doing the things I do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all the ways that Jesus continues to love us. The ways that he will challenge us and correct us. The ways that he is patient with us. The ways that daily he'll restore us. No matter how many times we turn or rebel, he'll restore us. The ways that he gave everything that we could have a relationship with you with him, but also with each other, that he would invite us into a family to belong. And thank you that we have a hope in him. Lord, this is hard stuff when we really think through our lives, but help us to continue to look to our Savior, to see how he loved and draw strength, to be connected to the vine. Lord, that we can love beyond our own strength, We can do things that would be more than what we could do if we only did it ourselves. Help us to follow the new commandment, to love one another as he has loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.